0: Welcome to the Aerospace Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, John Slickbaum. This week, we are on the road in Oshkosh, Wisconsin at the AirVenture Air Show. It is an epic event in aviation circles, and for good reason. Over half a million people from around the world gather here, most of them flying themselves to the event in their own airplanes. They camp under the wings of their planes in tents next to Cessnas, various warbirds, and even private jets. One year, I even saw a member of the Royal Canadian Air Force Snowbirds Demonstration Team camp next to his jet. The show line is massive, stretching a few miles along the runway while also extending to the length of a crosswind runway. So picture a gigantic L-shaped setup with massive ramps, display halls, various forum stages, and a huge camping field for those who drive to the event and a bunch of other events that are occurring at the Experimental Aircraft Headquarters building, the group that runs this event. Truly, it is an awesome place and center for aviation. So just like everybody else I was lucky to fly here uh, in Oshkosh this week and I flew in an L39 which is an Eastern Bloc trainer. Uh, I've got Doug with me so Doug how did you arrive to Oshkosh?
1: Hey Slick, it's awesome to see you. Normally we're back in DC when we meet up, but Oshkosh you get to meet buddies from all over the place with aviation so it's awesome seeing you here and we both have a passion for this stuff. I've arrived in Oshkosh in every imaginable way that you can you can think of from a B17 to a T6 World War II or a trainer. This year it was is it Comfort cruising and my my friend's Bonanza, um, but it's something that it's it's really interesting. I mean, we're here to talk air power and all that, but just as a point of you know information for the group, we always get this question: What's it like to actually arrive? And there there are a bunch of ways to do it, and it, it's intimidating for a lot of people. And and haven't done it a bunch of times. I get it. They basically, for most aircraft, they funnel you in. Think of a basket where you get into a chute, and so there are waypoint points throughout. That are geographic locations. And so they're towns out in the Wisconsin countryside. And they basically line everybody up. There are two general tracks those that are a little lower and slower, and those a little higher and faster. They route you in. You are li- landing on two basic runways. There are colored dots on the runways once you get on point for your approach kind of base to final they tell you what color to aim for you touch down you turn off as fast as possible normally into the grass and then they route you into a variety of different parking areas uh based on the type of aircraft you're with but it's like you i mean you were in a jet so you were in a totally different deal what was it like for you
0: well you know, I had two, two different scenarios in front of me. One was luckily being a previous air show uh, guy and, and knowing the air show community and having a few phone calls. Initially, I was just gonna get a slot to arrive during the airshow, uh, which was gonna be great. And they would just make a quick announcement. Hey, here comes Slick in an L-39. And as long as I met that timing window, it was really just gonna be flying to an airport like like anybody normally would and talking essentially to the control tower, which would have been the air boss. But uh, they were very, very efficient with the air show. And when I flew in, I tried to contact the air boss. They said, oh, we gave it back to the air traffic controllers, which to your point, in my mind, you go, oh, man, you know, I I had the easy pass and now I don't have it anymore. But uh, for the warbirds, uh, luckily, it is pretty easy compared to what you described. You basically fly over to one town and you make that radio call. And then there is a little island right off the coast of the lake next to the airport. And essentially you circle over that and they sequence you in. But for me, I just reported the town. And then I reported that I was at Warbird Island, so easy for me to remember. And they just said, hey, come on in for a straight in to runway uh, 36 left, which is great. So setting up for a straight in, just like you normally would on an airliner. But then there was an airplane. That wasn't responding to the air traffic controllers directions and they said which was really kind of neat for me because they go hey we need you to do like a low pass fly underneath this airplane it's going to be out of your way and then if you can do like an aggressive pull up and then turn to downwind like a normal uh, racetrack pattern that uh, the military would fly that'll work out great for us so i'm like okay, you want me to do kind of air show stuff? That sounds great to me. I'll do it. So that's how I came in and uh, did an over,
1: a uh, pitch up to an overhead and landed. Hey, man, well, I happen to be standing at the end of the runway, as you know, and sent you some pictures of that. It was, it was really cool. And, you know, again, it's Oshkosh. There are thousands and thousands of people here, but uh, there's that split second where you're the center of the show. You're the one touching down. And uh, it's it is really, really cool.
0: Well, thanks for getting that, and I'm glad I didn't uh, balk the landing since there was a lot of people looking. We were ready to judge it, (laughs) but uh, you held your own, I'll say. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, Well, let's get to the point of today. I know that we are at Oshkosh, and, uh, of course, it is the gathering of of aviation around the world. But the point of today's episode is to really think about how the public relates to air power at all these sorts of events. I mean, the Air Force is about to celebrate its 75th anniversary, and it's really appropriate to think about this on a, a broader uh, issue. I mean, we're normally buried in the, you know, the hyper details, but let's face it, it's not normal. So what the public uh, thinks about is really what matters the most, so they have the vote.
1: Now, and it's it's really interesting, and that's this is kind of the crux of why we're doing this episode today, you know, past just summer fun content. It's this notion of how do Americans relate to air power? And I would say when I was growing up, and Slick I think it's the same for you, we really had thousands and thousands of interpreters. And by that, I mean, World War II vets, Korean vets, Cold War folks that had served, Uh, were airmen, and and they would interpret for their family. They would hold their hands, they would explain, hey, this this is this, this is that, bomber, fighter, these are roles of missions, blah, blah, blah. And there's just more general awareness because you think about the number of bases that existed, production centers, all that's really gone away in stark terms and with all the contraction that's occurred, most Americans have very, very little interface with air power and the movie Top Gun might actually, no kidding, we joke about this, but that might be the most contact they have with it ever in their lives. And so when they come to an event like Oshkosh, seeing something like an F-16 or an F-35 or a KC-135 or C-5, that might be the most direct contact they've ever had. And those crews, those those young lieutenants and captains and majors manning those aircraft, engaging with the public, that is the U.S. Air Force to them. Or, you know, in the case of the Navy or the Marine Corps or whatever, same deal. And so when we talk about why national security matters and, and all these challenges of an aging Air Force fleet and national security risks and all that... We can really geek out on this stuff. We can go talk to certain experts on the Hill and there are a handful of them that really get it. But the vast majority of people, this is really remote and these public events matter a ton. And so if you look at what's sitting here at Oshkosh this week, it's it's a really good array because it's the 75th anniversary of the service. But you've got C-17, C-5, F-16, F-35, uh, the Osprey. You've got a ton of different things out there you've got flying demos but it's it's i would just say the best pr opportunity in many ways for the air force writ large yeah i mean i couldn't agree
0: more and you know again we've mentioned we've you know talked about it a lot recently about you know me having an incredible opportunity of of, uh, flying with the air force thunderbird so that meant i got to go to a lot of air shows interact with the crowd um we often joke about how you know how silly some of the questions are and you cannot blame the american public and i'll give you a, my personal you know feeling you know i grew up on long island and although there was you know long island air power history from you know and the, the f-14 tomcat and, and all of those things with grumman aviation that was you know a really big deal uh, where i grew up but there were no air force bases it's not like you know you heard the sound of freedom or you know an annoyance if you don't like the sound of airplanes flying over your house all the time there's just not a lot of exposure and so obviously really this is the only way that you can bring the Air Force to the general public and again to your point I think In generations past, they probably had an uncle or a grandparent or an aunt or somebody who served in the military. And I think those numbers are really dwindling a lot today. So just from a family organic way of having exposure to the military, they're really not getting it. And so now we got to bring that to the American public.
1: Now, and dude, just back to your New York point, let's just do a quick thing in Long Island. I mean, before Long Island was air power, superpower. You had Grumman, you had Republic and just over the horizon, you had Curtis. I mean, these are massively important companies, you had Mitchell Field out there on Long Island during World War Two, I mean, you, people back then were surrounded by it. now, nothing. I mean, those are empty production sites and empty bases. So I can't agree with you enough. And it, it is also something I've observed, you know, I'm not a pilot, I'm just highly, highly involved with aviation and have for most of my life. And I'm really lucky with that. But I've noticed over the past 25 years, I've been doing this kind of on a very frequent basis. There has been a tremendous, um, I would, I'll just be blunt, deterioration of the quality of questions I am asked when I bring an aircraft that's, you know, a Warbird uh, on display to the public. Before they would kind of know the type, they would know a basic role in mission, and they'd ask you semi-informed questions about it that were somewhat dialed in. I was just at an air show the weekend before we came to Oshkosh, I was with some more birds. And I mean, you're lucky they know what half century that this thing might have flown in. And I don't say that insultingly. This is on us and Slick, I'm telling you, I'm seeing this last weekend, like the show I described, I'm seeing it here at Oshkosh. There are actually overwhelming crowd numbers. And yet I increasingly get the feeling, and this is a problem statement for the episode in many ways, They really do not understand what they're looking at. How we are engaging them has not changed from what we were doing 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, really. You're just kind of putting stuff out there and some young you know, company grade officers and and some PA narration when this stuff lies. We need to do a better job. And this really matters. If American public does not understand what air power brings and if they don't understand the precarious nation of American air power, we got issues that that you see today we talk about all the time well let's just go back to why air
0: shows started from a military perspective of course you know it was entertainment and and, and a lot of other things like that and and showing innovation within the uh, the aviation community but the air force thunderbirds really started going on tour because they needed to educate folks on what this new sound was. I mean, yep. airplanes were only propeller planes, you know, up into the 50s. So now all of a sudden they were going with a point of going to small towns yep. and and allowing folks to hear the jet noise and not be afraid of it and say, okay, hey, that's that's part of American air power. And really, you know, the pl- the aircraft itself was central to, to that mission. And now as we're seeing, you know, look at the F-35 for example. I mean, it is a flying sen- integrated sensor suite. I mean, how do you really explain that you know and i think again to the problem uh, statement of the episode we really need to think about or maybe rethink how we tell and by the we i'm talking about the air force united states air force tells the story of the equipment and the personnel and what uh, the air force is capable of doing
1: now and it's really hard because you know here's an example today i saw a kc-135 demo and the official narrator for you know commended the maintainers for sustaining something that is you know closing in on uh 60 uh years of age um it's going to pass that really fast and and they're saying this is America. look what these young kids are doing yes it is but this is shameful that we are asking these young men and women to fly into combat in these ancient assets and so we've got to kind of nip this romanticism and sentimentality that is oftentimes displayed to the public and say no this is not okay and that is where mitchell comes in because that captain can't really do that i get it they have handcuffs and what they can say but there's got to be a way to nuance it and to say that f-35 is awesome but guess what it is only about you know fifth gen writ large is about 20 percent of the fighter fleet that is not good you know there are only 20 long-range stealth bombers the entire inventory until b-21 shows up that is not good we've got to be more comfortable owning the problem statement publicly so so i can say this now all
0: right so doug And I throw this out as a statement and a question, but as folks may know that have listened to the podcast, and how we met was when I was an Air Force fellow doing a strategic communications plan. And I worked with public affairs. And you walk around the the halls of the Pentagon, and you have the chief of staff saying that the Air Force is the oldest, the smallest, et cetera, et cetera, as we've said many times. And then you turn the corner in the Pentagon, and there is a picture of the B 52 with a grandfather, a father, and a son standing in front of the same tail number, so proud that three generations flew the same airplane. So which is it? You know, are we really proud of the fact that we can keep a dinosaur, you know, on earth or or in the air, I guess I should say, or, and of course we have to be proud of, of the maintenance folks. And, you know, I'm a prior enlisted maintainer, so I am totally understand the challenges that they have. But I think to your point, the Air Force really needs to decide what the future is you know where we're going and and really uh not bragging at the fact that we can keep nearly a you know a 70 year old machine in the air
1: no totally and that kind of flips to the other part we wanted to talk about that you see at these events especially oshkosh and that's a warbirds and i think where i get it people in uniform have to tow a certain line these historic aircraft and they're mainly from world war ii that you're seeing but there's some from korea and vietnam Those are now owned by private individuals that have chosen to invest their resources in making these aircraft accessible to the public. And why they're so important to air power people today is that the lessons that embody them are really the capture people's imagination. I mean, you go to Barnes and Noble, you see books everywhere on this stuff, or go check out Amazon. Obviously, it's everywhere. Make movies about this. This is what we like to watch. And the lessons have kind of generally been accepted as the way, and you're not dealing with egos that are currently in power and all of that. And so here's, you know, today I've seen a B-17 fly by numerous times here, which is incredible. I love that. And the lessons surrounding that are so applicable today. I mean, you think about the B-17 comes out before World War II. They can barely squeeze the thing into the acquisition budget. We literally had just a dozen of them initially. And then when World War II hits, we, again, have a little bit bigger fleet, but not much, a very small number of of air crews and maintainers. We spend 1942 and 1943 just staying alive with that force. We could only project enough power with those B-17s and B-24s and others like it as we could bring back and regenerate tomorrow. So you couldn't really play for knockout blows and really crippling the enemy. You were playing to stay alive. That is a way different strategy than than winning and it's dangerous as hell and we lost a lot of guys because of that when i see that b-17 i can talk to people about that they're interested in it they want to learn about it and i can then say guess what the b-52 over there cool you know i get it i respect that it's still here and good on the people doing it but that is not going to work and and we cannot and right now we have those the smallest bomber force in our air force's history ever and it's the oldest this is not good look at this b-17 it wasn't until 1944 that we had enough air crews and b-17s to actually do really really knockout blow you know thousand plane raids we've all heard about that really took down elements like petroleum industry or other elements of manufacturing that led it and really netted strategic effects and i mean it's like you've been walking around what's your favorite thing you've seen well
0: i, I tell you i i'm I really appreciate all that you said. You said one word uh, when we were talking earlier, the, the romanticism. And and that is what I get, you know, especially from, you know, being so grateful for the, the greatest generation. And, you know, we, we're both Stearman owners. So, you know, I think we, we kind of tow that line, if you will, to make sure that people understand what that generation did during World War II. And so and I think it properly has that romanticism. One, one of the things that I guess you could put it under the camp of romanticism, but from an air power perspective, especially for me as a weapons officer, seeing the MiG-17 fly last night and uh, and going back to the history of, you know, it is an amazing airplane, and especially for its time, it was groundbreaking. It was the tightest turning, dogfighting airplane, and it really challenged the United States Air Force, not only from a technology perspective, F-86, and then, you know, even, you know, facing them again in Vietnam, Century Series airplanes, and, and then ultimately the F-4, where, you know, Robin Olds is so famous for fighting, uh, you know, some MiG-17s, and then, you know, obviously MiG-21s, the, the, the subsequent fighter from there, but the fact that I saw that, and I understood the air power connection to that, again, you know, as we're saying, I don't think americans really realize that the fact that an american owns an enemy airplane and now flies it around air shows it's cool to see it and we're not telling the story of the mig-17 but it really is the story of american air power defeating you know such a technologically advanced airplane and it also shows frankly that we won during that time frame i mean we don't have uh, you know billionaires in you know other countries flying uh, US aircraft around in, in that regard the way that we are doing it on display I mean you know just like for myself I, f- I flew in on an, an l39 I mean we don't have other people uh, in other countries flying t37s and t38s around on the on the weekends
1: no indeed it, I like that example because it cuts to your personal history and it also cuts this hubris that we see today we just assume we're gonna win we weren't winning the air war in Vietnam when that first showed up because we were prepared for a totally different conflict. And that's why things like weapons school had to come into play, because we had to get back to basics with teaching fundamental skill sets with the air-to-air mission. And that's exactly where you spent so much time in the Air Force. And to see see the history of that actually flying, and you lived it. I mean, you, you trained up airmen. It cuts this notion that today we can't be cocky we're we're watching russia struggle they got cocky the question is facing china are we going to be like russia and i'm very worried about that and so that's why i think these lessons are crucial but we got to add the context so flying wise you know you talked about seeing the mig-17 what was your favorite anything else that you've enjoyed well i i mean we just watched
0: uh and it was it was nearly a, a head-to-head demo Uh, of the F-35, so the Navy uh, is here, they have two F-35s, and they just flew their demo, and then uh, uh, Kristen Beowulf uh, then raged in the F-35, and for those that have not seen uh, Beowulf fly the demo, I mean, she is putting that airplane to the test, and it is amazing. I mean, you know, really the F-35 initially was you know hey it's not going to be a dog fighter it's not going to have a lot of maneuverability it's you know single engine it's underpowered it's this big fat guppy looking thing and you know the f-22 is where it's at because the f-22 demo is amazing to really showcase uh what that airplane can do but i mean Bayo absolutely crushed it and i'm really really excited and proud that uh the f-35 demo team is is kicking kicking butt i mean they're doing really well but that they're showcasing what this airplane can do because it's been such a huge uh, burden on the taxpayer, you know, as, as you know, frankly a trillion dollar most expensive uh, airplane acquisition. And it's, you know, thank goodness it's doing exactly and going beyond what we thought it was gonna do
1: initially nah and uh i will just kind of put that dig in there yeah Bayo kicked the butt in the navy and yeah that was nice to see and you know my favorite thing and this is pretty much any air show is really the heritage flight which she joined up on and participated with the legacy aircraft and you know it's kind of changed every day at oshkosh um today it was with the mustang um yesterday they had a sky Raider and a mustang the day before that it was it was uh four mustangs um But again, it's bringing all these lessons together. And as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the most poignant parts of, of the display. Well, you know,
0: uh, Doug, you know, one of the really cool things is you and I could sit here and, and pontificate, but I really uh, had a great opportunity to meet up with a good friend, uh, rain Waters. He used to be the F-16 demo pilot, and he has visited and flown here uh, a number of times. So at this point, we're going to cut it off, and we're going to go over to that conversation.
1: No, man, it's been awesome. I love seeing you here, and it's going to be exciting hearing from Rain, because we all stand on the ground staring up, and we used to watch you Um But to hear from somebody that actually crossed that line at Oshkosh and was flying one of the military demo things is, is pretty rare so that's going to be awesome safe trip back man we'll catch you later thank you too
0: well rain it is awesome to be here at oshkosh with you i know we've been trying to get together for a long time and and really just talk about airplanes and have a great opportunity here at oshkosh to do just that and for those that don't know who you are, and this is not a trap, but can you give us a, <laughs> a, just a quick rundown of, of your career? And for those that don't know, obviously you were the F-16, the mighty
2: F-16 Viper Demo pilot for a while. Yeah, best jet out there, right? That's right. Yeah, slightly biased, but no, thanks for having me on. It's, it's funny how I've talked about it before. It's, it's always a challenge to schedule these things and get people together, so it's cool we're able to do it here, but I started off as a FAPE flying T-6s, so first-time instructor pilot. Did about three years doing that. In that cycle, I went and did a stint doing MC-12. So I got about seven months, eight months flying MC-12. So seeing the ISR piece of it, which was helpful later on as I went down the road and later ended up flying the Viper. So I did an operational assignment at Shaw. And then at the end of that operational assignment, I was selected to be the F-16 demo pilot. So I did it for about two and a half years before I separated from active duty. Awesome.
0: You know, it's one of those crazy things, and you and I both had the opportunity to hang out at air shows and engage with the American public, and it's amazing. With the Air Force getting ready to celebrate its 75th anniversary, sometimes I'm astonished at how little the American public knows about air power. And, you know, looking at the F 16, for example, I mean, you've probably been there and they go, Oh, is that a nuclear bomb on your wing? You're like, No, no, sir, that's a fuel tank. (laughs) Or, Wow, you have a hook on the back. I mean, what's it like to land on an aircraft carrier? So, you know, you have tremendous experience why do you think it's important you know that the american public understands air power
2: well there is a statistic which i will butcher but it comes from recruiting you know if you back up to like the 1970s over half of americans had someone who immediately served in the military and now that number is down in the teens so air shows are a great way to interface with the public rarely does someone get the opportunity to get up close and personal and get a tour or see some kind of dod asset asset so close so air shows you know the doors are open, the gates are open, people can actually get in, get close, sometimes even you know, sit in a jet, touch a jet, and see it operate in the sky when we're going out there and performing. And again, it's so important for the American people to understand what the Department of Defense does, what the Air Force does, what air power can do for you. And usually they're only seeing that on a sound bite, on the news, potentially, if something bad happens, right? Right. And some kind of accidents, which is sensational, or maybe they get a news article, or maybe they know a friend of a friend that, oh yeah, he flies planes, but they don't really understand just how important it is to have a military that can go out there and own the skies.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's the deterrent piece, right? Absolutely. Um, And we talk about that quite often on the podcast. And, And I wanna get your take on, if you were king for a day, how do you think we as, and I say we, since we're both uh, former airmen, right, you right. Know, I guess you're, we're always airmen, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll be forever. But you know, if you're a king for a day, how do you think we, we, the Air Force, could better engage with the public to make sure that they understand what air power
2: is doing for them on a daily basis? You know, I do think air shows are a great way of doing it. Flyovers are a great way because, again, that's going to be a rare opportunity for most people to actually ever see these planes flying and what's going on. Yeah, movies, ironically, like Top Gun, right? How popular that is, that does give people a glimpse into something that's normally not seen or known. And now while it is a movie, I think they did a pretty good job. I and agree. It exposes a generation to something that's really cool and out there. One of the aspects doing in the reserves is as a demo pilot, I saw a big fault with our recruiting and the link between the demo teams. Because we sent a demo team out there. We're spending a lot of money. We're spending resources, time, effort to get a plane and a team out to a specific spot to engage with the public. Having a recruiter and demo teams speak where they actually can link up and utilize a demo team as a tool because that's what it is to go out there and really maximize its impact. For a weekend. But these shows are really important. I did several shows in other countries. And you know, as we go out there and we're worried about the next fight, like we one can't do it all ourselves. Having that coalition and that joint fight is huge. So doing shows in other countries and partner nations, I'm sure you saw it, I saw it firsthand, and the one anecdotal story I have is I was in Rio Negro, Colombia. It's at an international airport and they have to sequence in commercial airliners. So there's only like a 30 to 45 minute window that the air show can occur. They stop it. And for the next two hours, airliners operate in and out of there. I was holding short, ready to go. And I was having to wait on a performer ahead of me that blew through their time. The entire Colombian like Defense Department, upper echelon, including their secretary of defense, their chief of staff of their Air Force were all in attendance that day. The 12th Air Force commander, General Kelly, who's now the air combat commander. Kelly or air combat commander was there as well because the Colombians as a strategic partner looking to upgrade their air force, looking at the next fighter they're going to buy, had all their people out there to see the performance capabilities of F-16, which was a 12000 foot density altitude like roughly, which was impressive uh, and challenging to fly in. Sure. But they're there to watch it and see it. And I think that, that translates to what we're doing with F-35 and what's what's happening now with how that program is progressing and what the next fight might be. It turns out they canceled my flight, which became a very big deal. Uh, a lot of people were jumping through hoops. I ended up flying just because uh, it was so important to demonstrate the capabilities of the F-16 that day to the Colombian upper echelon. They didn't care about the crowd. They didn't care about people. I mean, I'm sure they did, but sure. it was, oh. A very rare opportunity to go out there and showcase to a coalition partner or a a partner nation who we need that strategic partnership with to work with for various reasons in that geographic region. And again, I think it's copy and paste and it translates across across the spectrum.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, on the last podcast, I mentioned, you know, in 2009, we did a, uh, a Asia tour. You know hit a bunch of different countries a bunch of stops you know within countries and, and it was incredible to have that that interaction from that uh, that coalition uh, mindset you know we have to build these bonds with partner nations and then of course you know hopefully they they pick a uh, the u.s side so i'm sure that really spawns from a, a lot of the diplomatic engagement that we do uh and air shores. air shows are certainly uh, part of that so now you've been away from the air show circuit a little bit and you know luckily we're back here at oshkosh right. what's uh, what's changed from like an air air power engagement uh, scenario since you left
2: well, oh, that's a good a good question. You know, I don't I honestly don't know if I've seen too much of a shift. It's been about three years since I've been out of the jet doing it. I see, you know, when it comes to air shows, we still do a lot of the things that we were doing, good and bad. The one thing I really would like to see an improvement upon is how we're able to actually really go out there and spider out. You know, a couple of years ago I made the joke like I couldn't spell Instagram. I do think social media is the future you know it is changing how we're doing things these podcasts is another example of that i see that technology and those forms of media being embraced more because as we look around everyone has that device in their hand and that's how they're engaging and they're doing it at 7 to 15 seconds a pop right so being able to get that message out there uh, quickly to hopefully capture the attention then then possibly draw them to something such as a podcast where you actually can do a Little bit deeper dive and fully understand something that's going on. So I do think When we go out there, and we're specifically talking about all right air shows and air power engagement Putting a demo team out there and displaying what that aircraft is capable of right and it's a show So it's really not showing everything. It's it's capable of right but utilizing social media to expand that footprint to reach a broader audience for more than the 5,000 foot crowd line, you're gonna get more out of it. Gotcha.
0: Just want to get a thumbs up if you think we're, should we wait a second or do you think we're no, just, good? I okay, perfect. I mean, yeah.
2: if, you like, if you like that kind of background, it kind of gives you an You're like, yeah, Roger. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. And I apologize to my guys for having to edit this because I do make it easy for them. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, surprise. You know, to that point, one of the things that and I'm gonna kind of answer my own question to you, but yeah. I'm bouncing it off you. Um, one of the things that I, I always enjoyed is when we had you know like a bomber flyby. You know you think about the logistics and the strategic reach when they take off from Whiteman and you're I don't know in Miami or something. Yeah. They hit, they shack the, the tot uh, coming over the airfield and of course that crowd always goes wild uh, when they see those assets uh, come by. How do you think we could better leverage you know some of those other assets to get them involved in the air shows versus just fighters?
2: Yeah, so that's a good point, right? Because the fighters are they're sexy. They're- loud, people wanna see that. And when we have the ACC demo teams and the PACAF demo teams, you know, everything is scripted. They kinda of know what, I mean, they know what to do. They're going out there and every weekend rinse and repeat how to maximize their, their impact. But that is a great point because as a, an Air Force guy standing in Miami, when the B-2 flies over, you know it took off from Whiteman Air Force Base earlier that morning. It has probably flown all over the country. It's refueled maybe once or twice, maybe not at all. Right. Uh, And all the pieces that are going into play to coordinate and make that happen, that translates to if that B2, instead of being over Miami, needs to be over Country X, because there's bad guys there, that we can do that. Telling that story, like there was a U2 that flew over here yesterday. You and I watching it know what it took for that U2 to be overhead unless you know how the U2 operates operationally, you're probably just looking up saying, that's really cool, and it is. Right. But when you back that up, just all the moving pieces that went in to make that happen, it truly shows you what we're capable of. So telling that story to the public is, is crucial. And we're talking air show specifically, I mean, that comes through the narrator. Right. And that's a huge piece of connecting what's happening to the loud thing or the quiet thing that's flying out in front of the crowd. Like that. that is critical to tell that story. Yeah, and one thing that you and I already know, but if that B2
0: was doing that, that was just maybe 10% of the training that they probably got on that sortie because they probably executed you know, multiple other, other events on the you know eight or 10 hour sortie or something
2: like that. Because what other nation, one, if we just talk air show specifically, uh, to be able to allocate resources, to go out there and demonstrate a fraction of our capability that's a huge privilege in and of itself, but it is a testament to what we're able to do. You know, at Shaw Air Force Base, where I was with a Viper demo, we had three F 16s attached to us, a team of maintainers, and while we did rely upon, you know, other parts of the maintenance squadron and the operational squadrons to support the demo team, inherently self sufficient until something big breaks and then. know every every unit there is utilizing that but the ability to be able to allocate those resources to go out there and demonstrate it is a testament being able to maintain that and sustain that i think is it is probably that's down the rabbit hole of like how do we ensure that because most nations can't afford to just chop off x number of jets to go out there and do performances all the time they have to have a dual role absolutely yeah, no, it's absolutely incredible. Well, I
0: know we're going to get short on time on the podcast. I just want to give you the opportunity to, uh, to say anything or, or
2: uh, you know, tell us about what, what you're up to and and uh, anything else about air power. Well, so I really appreciate it. I have a podcast as well, the Afterburn podcast. Again, it's slightly different here, but we're telling a lot of stories capturing those. I know you're going to come on the podcast. It's always great to, you know, dig a little bit deeper into the person, the fighter pilot, the pilot, the bomber, whoever it might be on sure. there and kind of. Peel back the onion, if you will, Mm -hmm. and figure out what makes them tick and maybe a cool story or two. So, I do appreciate you taking the time. Let me jump on the podcast here today. Yeah, likewise.
0: And, uh, you know, you mentioned social media and you just said ticks. I know you're not a big dancer, but are you on
2: TikTok as well? I, I am on TikTok. That's a whole <laughs> other discussion in itself. I'm not super active on it. I do have, I mean, some concerns about uh, TikTok. I think is like probably most of us do. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. No, I do appreciate that. And, and really, to your point, I mean, you were the
0: guy that kind of broke the mold on leveraging social media to reach exactly the audience that we're trying to reach by telling the Air Power story with with the youth, and they they are the next generation. They're gonna they're gonna carry the Air Power torch into the future. So
2: absolutely, awesome. Yeah. Slick, appreciate it. Hey, thank you.
0: With that, I'd like to extend a big thank you to our guests for joining in today's discussion. I'd also like to extend a big thank you to our listeners for your continued support and for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard today, don't forget to hit that like button and follow or subscribe to The Aerospace Advantage. You can also leave a comment to let us know what you think about our show or areas you think we should explore further. As always, you can join in on the conversation by following the Mitchell Institute on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, and you can always find us at Mitchellaerospacepower.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and check six.